Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Hallelujah. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It'll be on the screen here in a minute. But before we get there, I just kind of want to bring a close to this series that we've been in. And, and we have been speaking about something for the last couple of weeks that I believe is significantly important to our walk with Jesus. Amen. And it's our thought life. Um, you know, I've preached a lot, been a pastor for a long time and preached a lot of sermons but there has never been a sermon series or sermons that have not been more important than this one. Except, I would say, probably the exception to that would be a sermon that, that presents Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is obviously the pinnacle of all preaching, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he loves us, that he died for us, and that we can receive him as our Lord and Savior. And so, outside of that preaching... This is probably the most important series I've preached. Why? Because just like salvation, this, this has the power to change everything. Okay, everything. And it's absolutely essential. Our thought life and having the right thought life is absolutely essential if you want to grow in Christ. And we cannot trivialize this. We cannot, we cannot, afford, to, we cannot afford to just be sermonized. Do you know what sermonized is? I've been, I've been sermonized and I was the guy preaching. And you say, what, what is that? It's like, okay, we've heard all of that before. Yeah, yeah, yak, yak, yak. And you, and you go on and you say, yeah, good sermon. Yeah, it was great. Wow, powerful. And you move on. Because as Christians, we get the buzzwords down, don't we? Praise God, hallelujah. You know, my side's winning. It's bloody war, but my side's winning. You know, we, we, we get all the, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm the above and not the beneath, you know. You know, we get it all down. But in reality, in reality, we ain't doing so hot. Amen. Just had a fight with the wife in the parking lot. The dog had kittens. I don't know how that happened. The roast is burning as we speak right now. You know, the, you know and ha- you notice how things happen just before you go to church. I mean, a flat tire... Now, I talked last week, I told you a flat tire is a flat tire, it's not the devil, because there's no, little, there's no dev, little devil running around popping tires. I, it's just not happening. I mean, it's not like there's little imps that haven't got their horns yet or their pitchfork, and, and so they're only issued a, you know, a knife. They don't have the full fork, you know, the full trident yet, they just have the little knife, and so they go around popping tires. That, that, that that's not true. Okay, a flat tire is a flat tire, but how we respond to a flat tire really is dependent on about about what we believe, about ourselves, about God, about life, about everything around us. What do you believe and why do you believe it? It's a good question. We talked about that last week and we talked about that, that our minds and what we allow to take root in our minds is so absolutely critical because out of that lens or out of the filter of our mind, all of our decisions, all of our actions, our reactions, and we live life based on how we think, what we believe. And our belief system has so much to do with what we're thinking. And the Bible puts it this way. It says, out of the heart, it it talks about the heart, protecting the heart. And he says, out of the heart, the uh, flow, the issues of life. Okay. And so it's that heart. It's that, it's not just the mental ascent. It's what we believe. It's what we truly believe. 
One man put it this way, what you say you believe is not what you believe, but what you believe is demonstrated by the actions of your life. And the, why is that? Because, because somewhere along the line, talk is cheap. Amen. You know, there's a lot of people talking, but there's not a lot of people acting. So the, the reality is, is it's, 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 there's a new term for it in, in this generation. It's called virtue signaling. It means that we raise our hand because we say that we believe in something. We say, yeah, you know, I believe in this or I believe in that or I believe in this thing, but we have no intention to do anything about it. Amen. Or we use it, we use the virtue as a way to manipulate. And so that happens in Christianity all the time. Amen. It does. We, we hold to a belief system that we don't live out. We don't walk it out. We, we, don't, we don't allow it to penetrate our lives and to change our daily routine. And that's why this morning it's imperative that we live with a renewed mind. The Bible tells us that transformation comes by a renewed mind, and our mind can only be renewed through deliberate and, and consistent interaction with God and His Word. We have to interact with God through His Word and through prayer and through communication. And when we interact with Him through His Word, then there is this transformation that happens in us, in our minds, so that we can see differently. We can act differently, and that's, that's really what this sermon's really going to show you today. And so, what I want to do is I want to talk about and finish this series by looking at a new way of thinking. Now, I need to put out this disclaimer, and, and I, I have a little bit of a remedy for it, so there is going to be a lot of Scripture today. Okay, we're going to go through a lot of Scripture, and so it's, I'm going to have to go, for the sake of time, I have to go a little bit quick. And so what I'm going to do, what I'm planning on doing is this week, I'm going to take my sermon, and I'll, I'll just strip it down to, this, to the Scriptures, and next week I'll have some, some handouts if you want the Scriptures to be able to go study those if you'd like those. So I'll have those ready for you next week. I, I, I had that inspiration in the 830 service while I was preaching, so it was, it's kind of hard to do it while I'm preaching, so... But I'll do that. But we're going to go through a lot of Scripture. And the reason why is, is because this is the basis. This is the foundation upon which we stand. Amen? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word is God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld Him as the only begotten of the Father. So Jesus is the Word, and the Word is Jesus. They're one and the same. Amen? And so when we read his word, when we, when we meditate and we receive that, we're, we're really allowing Christ to come into our life and it changes the way we think. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, listen to these words. He says this, Paul is writing, he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation." Taking the form of a bondservant and coming into the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, this, this is a portion of Scripture that I, reaches back in my life all the way back to my beginning days as a pastor 30, 35 years ago. This, this portion of Scripture has spoke to me for a a long time. But what I want you to pay attention to is, is this very first phrase. 
this let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Because if you go back and you look at the context of this passage, it really does begin to speak to us about the very subject we're looking at. So go back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. So these are the first four verses before our text. It says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Notice that by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let let each of you look only, not only uh, for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And what Paul is doing here, Paul is teaching the Philippian church on unity and humility in relationship with one another. Let me tell you, if you want to have solid relationships that last the test of time, unity and humility are necessary. Are you hearing me? There has to be that. So this is what Paul is talking about. And if you go back a little bit further, going back into chapter 1, Paul says this in chapter 1, verse 27. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, literally, Paul, what he's doing is he's encouraging these folks to change the way they think, okay? Notice all of these verses where he's focusing on their mind. What he's focusing on is the way they think because the statement in our text in Philippians 2.5 could literally read this way. If we expand the meaning of the Greek word for mind, it could read this way. Let this mind, let this way of thinking, let this mindset, this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, trust me this morning when I say this was a complete brand new way of thinking for these people. They had not thought like this before. Now, I want, you, I want to kind of unpack this here a little bit because in our text, it's talking about the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was in Jesus, right? So let this way of thinking. So this is the way Jesus thought. Now what you have to understand is the verse tells us that he did not think it wrong or it was not robbery to God to be equal with God because Jesus understood that he was fully God, yet he was fully man. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's the great mystery. How does that work? We don't know. Probably never will know. But he was fully God, fully man. But Jesus made a decision. The plan of God was that the Son of God, Jesus, would come to earth as a man. He would take on the form of a man. He would humble himself. Amen. Because trust me, being God and stepping down into man, that's a demotion. Amen. He's humbled himself into that position. Because this is his mind. 
So this is the way he's thinking. He's saying, look it, I am fully God. I could call angels on the scene. I could do all kinds of things. I could change everything, but I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to come and I'm going to become one of them and I'm going to walk among them. I am not going to rely on my deity, but what I'm going to do is I am going to rely on my humanity. I am not going to operate out of my majesty, but I'm going to operate out of a relationship with the Father and filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to show them what perfect humanity is capable of. I'm going to be the example of what Adam was supposed to be, what the first Adam could not do, the Bible says, the second Adam did. I'm going to show them how to live like a son of God. I'm going to show them what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit in right relationship with the Father. This is his way of thinking. And so he's thinking, not like the world, but he's thinking like God. He's thinking like the kingdom, but he's doing it in the context of a human. Amen. He's doing it as a man. He's fully God. He's fully man. I'm not taking nothing away from Jesus, but he's doing it in humanity. Are you hearing that? He humbled himself. That's what this verse is doing. And so this is what God's wanting us to do. He's wanting us to have a different mindset. So Jesus came and he turned the world upside down, didn't he? He showed us a different way. This is how you used to do it. You have heard it said, this is what used to be done, but this is what I say. This is my mind. So in other words, what he's saying to us is I've had a change of mind and I'm going to show you a new way of thinking. Can you say amen? So what is the point? What is the point of all of this? All through the Gospels, Jesus talks about entering into the kingdom of God. Not in terms of going to heaven when we die, but in terms of living in the kingdom in the here and now. Living in and by the kingdom in everyday life. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, I want you to pray after this manner. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what Jesus showed us is he said, I want you to pray. And when you pray, I want you to reach into heaven and I want you to pull down onto earth what's already been done and settled in heaven and already operating in heaven. I want you to bring that in. In other words, you're not going to one day be a part of the kingdom. You are a part of the kingdom now. And what you're going to do is you're going to walk in the kingdom and that's going to require a new way of thinking. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You're going to have to think differently. See, we are welcomed into his kingdom by accepting Jesus as our Savior and believing his truth. And the Bible goes so far to say, listen to this, this, because what I'm doing here with all this scripture is I'm really wanting to build this platform so you could see it. Because the Bible even goes so far to tell us that we have a new citizenship I want you to think this through. Philippians 3, 17 through 21 says, Brethren, join in following my example. This is Paul writing. And note those who so walk as you have for us for a a pattern. So in other words, he says, look at I want you to follow my example and I want you to note those that follow me and I want you to walk like them because we are your pattern. For many walk, 
So he's saying there's a lot of people out there walking of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame. Look at who set their mind, their mind, their way of thinking on earthly things. You know what makes us evil? Not what we do, what we think. See, when you pay attention to worldly things, it has a definite result. Are you hearing me? See, uh, the problem is a lot of times in Christianity, we're always fighting symptoms. Here's the thing. Let me tell you a little secret about marriage counseling. Marriage counseling is always maneuvering through and navigating the symptoms of bad thinking. That's what it is. Dysfunctional living comes first from dysfunctional thinking. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So he goes on and he says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. What does that mean? It means we have new customs, a new culture, and a new way of thinking. If you've ever been overseas, anywhere, even in other westernized worlds, you'll find out it's not America. (laughs) Let me tell you something. With all of our excruciating problems that we love to complain about in America, we are still, even at this moment, the best country in the world. By far. By far. I've been to other western countries like England and Europe and other places. And I could tell you, when you get there, you go, hey, we ain't in Kansas no more. It's different. They think differently. They may sound like you. They may even talk like you. But they think different. There's a different way. Why? Because there's a different culture. I'm not saying that we're right all the time. But what I'm saying is, is that there is a difference I remember the first time, the very first time I went overseas, we left and we landed in uh, Holland, in Amsterdam, Holland. And we went to eat, go eat something. It was, it was, it was uh, in the morning, so we went to have breakfast. And it was the worst breakfast I ever had in my life. I went, man, this is horrible. It was plain and it was yuck. Yeah, you know, and then England, man, England, they have stuff like blood pudding. And it's like, I don't even get that. It's like eating a scab. I mean, it's like, this is just gross. Seriously. But then we left, we left Holland and we went to Africa. And we were in Africa for, I don't know, two weeks. <laughs> and, and then we flew back to Holland and we got there in the morning again and had breakfast. It was the best breakfast I ever had in my life. <laughs> I went to one African country one time where I only, for the whole week I was there, only ate French fries. You say, why? Because anything in 350 degree grease is dead. And it wasn't good, <coughs> but it wouldn't kill me. Alex ate other stuff and got sick. I ate French fries. What do you want? I want to order French fries. 
I go, what is that? Potatoes and grease. Yeah. Heat up the grease. <laughs> Don't care what they look like. But I'm telling you that when you come back to America, I, it's, you, you go, oh my God. I remember, you know, we, Kathy and I have been in Mexico. We've preached many, 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 many times in Mexico. And we've spent time over there. And there is a difference. When you come across that border into, uh, what is that town? It's Tijuana, but what's the next town? No, no, no. Uh, it's American side. Anyway, it's, it's San Diego, suburb of San Diego. Uh, what is it? Anyway, something like that. And so, but I'm telling you, you come across that border, and there is something that lifts off you. It's like, wow, did you feel that? I mean, like 10 feet across the border. Trust me, culture means a lot. It means a lot. That's why he talks about being citizens of a heavenly country. That we are not of this world. <clears throat> Listen to what Jesus says in John 17, 16 through 19. He says, they are not of the world. Uh, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now listen, he says, sanctify them by your truth, and your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. This is an amazing, powerful scripture. He's saying, look at, he goes, I am, I'm going to do this work for you. I'm going to set you apart. I am going to make this pure by my truth because you're not of this world. The moment you got saved, you became a citizen of a heavenly country. You became a citizen of another country. You do not have dual citizenship. You do not have a passport from this world and a passport from heaven. Your passport from this world got tore up in the shredder. It's gone. You only now are a citizen of heaven. And that's what he's telling us. And we are just as much not a part of this world as Jesus was not a part of this world. So living in the kingdom now means living certain ways, that we live a certain way, that we have certain mindsets and our way of thinking has changed that we think differently. All of them, all of these things that we are to think are counterintuitive to this world. They are counterintuitive. They're backwards, or I should say this world is backwards to heaven. Here's the problem, church. We are trying to put a square peg into a round hole. We get saved, and then we still want to live by worldly ways. Let me say that again. That, that didn't hit real hard. We get saved and we carry on thinking like the world. You know, you're driving down the street going through the gauntlet, which is known as Stockton Hill Road. And the problem with Kingman is you have either retired folk that drive two miles an hour or you have people from California that drive 90. And either one need to get a grip and need to get moving and slow down. Amen? And so then somebody cuts you off and your first response is, 
from church. You just had this wonderful, glorious, Lord, I praise you. That's awesome. You're singing. This is so good. It followed you into the car. You got your radio on and, you know, Jesus set me free and praise God. You idiot. How, How James writes, he says, you know what? Salt water and fresh water cannot come out of the same well. How is it that you speak the way you speak? And the thing is, is we're constantly trying to do it the world's way. We want to fix the problem the world's way. How many want victory? Raise your hand if you want victory. Praise God. It don't matter what it is. We all want victory. And you know what? There's a promise. Romans chapter 8 tells us that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You know what more than a conqueror means? It means you didn't have to get into the race and you won. Jesus showed up for the boxing match and beat your opponent but gave you the title. Are you hearing me? You're more than a conqueror. You didn't conquer, you did more because Jesus beat it for you and then gave you the victory. Now, here's the problem. We want victory. We want victory over our enemy. So what we do is we start thinking like the world and go, you know what? My enemy needs retaliation. And you know what? I don't get mad. I get even. Are you hearing me? Okay, I got you. Two can play that game. Not a problem. Not a problem. Or how about this? You don't like this speed. You really ain't going to like next one. And what we're doing is we're acting like the world. But Jesus comes along and he says, look it. You want victory? Yeah, I want victory. You want victory over your enemy? Yeah, I want my enemy defeated. I want them ground into powder. I, why don't you just take my enemy and hang them over hell for a while? God goes, Wow. You remember the sons of thunder? Jesus' disciples. Hey, Jesus, how about we call lightning out of heaven and just fry them all? We'll get their attention. And Jesus goes, you guys don't even know what spirit you're of. You don't, you're not, you, you've been with me three years and you still ain't getting it. Why? What does Jesus say? You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. See, if you really want victory, lasting, permanent victory, then love your enemy. But that don't make sense to me. You want me to love the guy that's insulting me? Yes. You want me to love the guy that's hurting me? Yes. You want me to forgive him? Yep. And see, what happens is we do all kinds of crazy things. We, we reinterpret all those things to mean all kinds. Well, now you're just telling me I just got to lay down and take it. No, I'm not saying that at all. Well, you just, no, you're just saying that, that what, they, what they're doing really isn't hurting me. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the best way to win, victory comes by doing it God's way. You know, it's probably really clear, and I'm going to pick on marriage a little bit, so if you're married in this place, listen up, because this is a counseling session. See, the Bible tells us how to get along as husband and wife, but we don't listen, because we reinterpret. See, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, submit one to another. Okay, you know what that, that is? Do you know what that is? If you know how to write a term paper or a research paper, there's a thesis statement. So that statement is made. It's going to tell you what is coming next, but in a statement. 
submit one to another. And then verse 22 starts the process of how to do it. Wives, well, what about the husband? We'll get there. (laughs) Hang on. Don't freak out yet. Wives, submit to your husbands is unto the Lord. For he's the head of the house like Jesus is the head of the church. Then husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He's teaching the wife and the husband how to submit one to another. Why? Why? Look at this. Wives are to respect and honor. That does not come natural. Why? Because of what happened in the garden. Husbands are to love. Why? Guys, we get all that. We, you know, we're all about the respect. You know, ooh, uh, uh, uh. You know we get all that. But love being tender and being a servant we, doesn't come natural to us. So what does he tell us to do? He says, I want you to focus on this because this is how you'll have a happy marriage. You submit one to another. But what we do is start reinterpreting words. I actually had, did a wedding years ago where a, a woman, the woman getting married, <clears throat> she said to me, you ain't using that verse in my wedding because I ain't submitting to him. He ain't telling me what to do. I am not going to walk six feet behind him. He's not going to be my Lord, and he's not going to be this, and he's not going to be that. I'm like, whoa. You have completely misunderstood. (coughs) See, my wife does not walk six feet behind me. (laughs) I'll tell you a funny story. There's a person that, that we love and cherish She's actually in the room right now. We spent some time counseling with her a couple years ago. And every time we would, Kathy and I would show up at her house for some odd reason, I don't know why it was, I would get out of the car and I would start moving. Kathy would be a little bit slower. And Kathy would be like four or five feet behind me. And we would go to the, and this person at that time was very new to us. We did not know her very well. She did not know us very well. And so one day I stopped and I said, you got to get up here. This is before we knocked the door on the door. I said, you got to get up here, get next to me. She goes, why? I said, because she's going to think that I am like, you know, making you walk six feet behind me. And that's not the fact. My wife does it. She is an equal partner. She's my partner. She's my help me. She works with me. We work together. That's Bible. We do it together. We, we pray together. We, we fast together. We take communion together. We do things together. We are mutually put together. She has a role as a woman. I have a role as a husband. And when we are operating in our roles, it's not about importance or value. It's about position. Okay, enough of that. That's, that's, that's the kingdom of God in marriage. So living in the kingdom means we think differently. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. He says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. That don't make any sense, does it? That makes no sense whatsoever. We're taught, if you want to be first, you better make your way up. You've got to climb that ladder. You've got to claw and fight, especially if you've ever been at a Christian conference. You ever been in one of those Christian conferences and you're standing in line? I've gone to a lot of conferences where I had to stand in line. 
It's some guy comes in real early, puts his Bible down, and goes away and parties with his buddies. And six hours later, while everybody is in the, you know, sweltering heat, and he comes, cuts in line, and you go, hey, 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 hey. He goes, no, no, my Bible is holding my place. Get that out of there. It, no, you hold your place, not your Bible. And I mean, and, there's a, and we're Christians. We're going to heaven together. But we're fighting over who's going to get on the front row of the Christian conference. I'm picking on human nature a little bit here. Makes no sense, does it? What Jesus says is actually step aside. In fact, what Jesus actually says, if you really dig into this, he says, don't seek the favored place lest you get really embarrassed. He actually says, you, you might seek the favorite place and then the master of the house come to you and go, hey, can you move back? Because I have someone that that seat's reserved for. He says it's better to be in the back of the house and actually be asked to come forward. <laughs> I'm not going, I'm not sitting in the back. Blah, blah, blah. How about this, Matthew 5. Listen, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now you need to understand something about this because the book of Matthew was originally written in Hebrew. All the rest of the New Testament was written in Koine Greek and different languages and stuff, but this one was written, Matthew wrote his book in Hebrew, and he was writing it to a Hebrew audience. And so this phrase, blessed, this word blessed, it, one interpretation is happy are the poor in spirit, but the most literal Jewish interpretation is lucky. Lucky are the poor in spirit. And this phrase, poor in spirit, literally means completely destitute with no ability to help yourself. He says, you're lucky when you are poor in spirit, when you are destitute and have no ability to help yourself. Why? Because then the kingdom of God is yours. Then God comes in. It's in that place when we finally get out of the way that he comes in with all his resources. How would you like to work with his checkbook instead of yours? Amen. Amen. Then he goes on and he says this, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted and blessed are the meek, the gentle in spirit or you know what meek actually means? It's gentle strength. It's actually possessing the ability to do something but choosing not to do it. Blessed are the meek why? They will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. All of this is the opposite of what the world thinks is true. Listen to these scriptures. Once again, lots of scripture. Matthew 16, 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but he who desires loses his life for my sake will find it. What's he saying? If you want to live, you got to die. Matthew 20, verse 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles, Lord, it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Let this mind be in you. Luke chapter, chapter 6 verse 38. Give. And it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. 
You want to receive? You got to give. Matthew 5, 43 and 45 says this, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and go on and bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for those that spitefully use you and persecute you and that you may be the sons of your father in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. The fastest way, fastest way to disarm an enemy is to love them. They don't know what to do. When somebody is yelling and screaming and chewing you out, if you will calmly go, I love you. It literally short circuits everything. (laughs) They don't know what to do. In order to live in the kingdom now, we need to change our perspective. We need to replace the old ways of thinking and adopt his counterintuitive ones. Consider this. this I'm, I'm beginning to close here. The vast majority of people make their decisions in Christianity based in part on fear. But the Bible says there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Our song, we sung it. Why are we afraid of what he's already overcome? We are taught, don't worry about your life. Why? Because you, by worrying, cannot add one single hour to your life. But yet we insist on worrying. We do so many things in our lives to protect ourselves, like shutting down our feelings or avoiding dealing with issues or building walls against hurt. But the Bible says it is the peace of God which transcends our understanding and guards our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. And finally, one last example of counterintuitive thinking. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. He says, enter through the narrow gates, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Listen, church, what Jesus is saying is the easy way is not always the right way. Just because it's easy doesn't always mean it's right. Now, I'm not saying, see, the converse is not true either. I'm not saying that only the hard way is the right way. Because Jesus did say, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. But notice, it's because it's attached to him. Are you hearing me? So again, I ask, what's the point and this probably sums it up. Solomon probably summed it up the best. He says in Proverbs 14, 12, he said, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the way thereof is death. Church, I, as I close today, I, I, the reason that I felt this, and a lot of this does come out of counseling, So, and because that's where I have my most, probably the most uh, connection with people. But I see this not only in myself, but in the people I counsel and then others, is that we are forever trying to live like the world and be Christians. God has a whole different way of living. He has a whole different way of thinking. And it's counterintuitive to what comes natural. See, my natural mind does not think like the Word of God. That's why I have to replace my natural mind with His Word. That's why I have to meditate on his word. That's why I have to digest his word daily. Daily. 
And the thing that's so discouraging at times is how illiterate Christians can be about the word. Because it's, 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 you know, and I've heard every excuse under the sun, everyone. I don't, work, I don't read, I, I don't like to read, I don't understand, it's too hard, it's this, it's that. There's so many tools now, church, that are available to us that have made it much more, um, for lack of a better word, easy. It's much more available. And I'm, I'm saying to you today, this will change everything. I had a, a situation happen last week that was kind of a test for me. I had encountered a person and was talking with them and, and it didn't really go well and I was just trying to help. And, and uh, so I walked away. As I'm walking away, I felt this, just this incredible weight of guilt. And I mean, I got in my truck and I started driving away. And I remember thinking, because I, I, I started thinking about it. I'm thinking, like, man, what did I do? What, man, I didn't, I, don't, I didn't mess up. I didn't. And I'm going through all the words I spoke, and I'm going through everything. I'm looking at the motive of my heart. Why, why did I go there? What did I do? What, why, you know, and all the things. And I'm going, I, I didn't do anything wrong, but yet I am just enormously guilty. Do you know that's a spirit? And what that spirit was doing is it was pushing on the wall of and the door of my heart was looking for an entrance point. And if at any moment I would have opened that door, <coughs> he would have ran in. Because he was looking to just cover me in guilt. I didn't do anything wrong, but I felt enormously guilty. So you know what I did? I began to, I actually began to pray in tongues. And then I began to worship. I started worshiping. I said, you're going to talk to me, I'm going to talk back. But you ain't going to like what I got to say. I started worshiping Jesus, lifting his name and declaring the glory and the goodness and the wonder of my God and all that he is to me. And I resisted and I said, no. Because listen, church, not every thought you think is yours. The devil will try to sow thoughts in you. And if you receive them, that's why, see, that's why the word of God has an innate power all by itself to divide. The Bible says the word of God is alive. It's living. It's powerful. It's a two-edged sword and it cuts right to the marrow. It, get, it gets right to the heart of the issue and it divides. It separates. It goes, this is right. This is wrong. Don't pay attention to that. I know it makes sense, but don't pay attention. It's wrong. It's a lie. And that's when we can stand and resist and we go, no, you are not welcome here. No, you're not a failure. No, you're not ugly. No, you're not wrong. No, you're not guilty. You don't need to carry that shame. You're not a sinner. That's what the devil wants to do, is bury us in everything that Jesus set us free from. And you know what? The human mind is so wonderful that what we do, we'll actually take that stuff, that, that garbage that we're buried in, and we will spiritualize it. And we'll come up with a doctrine to make it sound godly. That's why the word is so important. 
when I say the word, not my word. Don't go, oh, I listen to you preach. I could steer you wrong. You listen to Jesus preach. What does he say? What is he speaking to you? Well, I read this commentary. I'm going to tell you what a commentary is. It's a comment. Well, I read that book. Unless it's the Bible, they all have their place. Don't get me wrong. And some of them are better than others. But there is nothing that we can replace the Word of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the wonder of your word, and we thank you, God, for this message. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us, that you would encourage us. Father, that you would stir our lives, and Lord, that we would be hungry, God, for your word. God, that we would put that in so that, Lord, we can come with this new way of thinking, Lord, that we would pay attention to what's going on in our mind, understanding that the lens of our mind is the way, God, that we relate to this world. And Father, we are not of this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. And Father, we have a new way of thinking, a new culture, a new, a new thought process, a new mindset. Help us, teach us, Lord, instruct us in righteousness. And I wonder if every head is bowed, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you're here today and you'd say, I don't know Jesus is my savior. I've never asked him to come into my life and to forgive my sins. Or maybe you did it one time, but you find yourself disconnected from him. They say, I'd like to renew that. If that's you, would you lift your hand up all across this place? Amen, I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen, I see that hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? I see those hands in the back. Amen. I want to take a moment. Would you do me a favor? And I know this is something we don't often do, but I want to do this today. If you raised your hand, would you, would you just stand up real quick? Just stand up right where you're at. Just right where you're at. Amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And you know what? Those that are around you, would, those folks that are around these people, would you put your hands on them? And would you pray? As pray for them as we pray right now. And those of you that are standing, would you pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. I give you my life and I receive yours in return. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask, right, you can be seated. I'm going to ask our ministry team to come right now. Our ministry team is going to come up front right now. And if you, if you stood up and you said that prayer, maybe you said that prayer a hundred times, maybe you only said it once, would you do one last thing as we close, as we close the service and, and as we're going out, I want you to come and talk to somebody up front here and let them pray with you again. Let's all stand to our feet. If you have need of any kind, come on up and they'll pray for you. We're going to release you today, let you go. God bless you. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful day. God bless. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.